All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly, one of the most luxurious podcasts talking about the ghostly forms, um, bringing the paranormal right direct to you. No apparition, no faded images, just straight up as real. Touch it. Walk up and touch it. We're there. We're, we're, we're right around you. Uh, we're mostly ghostly. And Ray, how you doing over there? Not bad. Not bad. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. We got a good vibe with us today. I feel like we got some uh, protection over us, some some archangel type stuff. You know what I mean? Some of the the, the big stuff. Uh, you can't do too much better than that. A little bit, but not too much. You know? How you been? Not bad. Cruising along. Yeah, I feel you. So I uh, know I know you're you, you know we're gonna get into the seven archangels here. I know that Ray's probably a little more versed in this than I am with this background and such and his schooling and education. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tinker alongside the ship. Like consider me like when the when when the big when the big ships are sailing and you got the dolphins swimming right next to it. Consider me a dolphin for this episode. You know what I mean? Sounds good. I like it. So the concept of the seven archangels is uh, found in some works of early Jewish literature and in Christianity. Now, in those texts, they are referenced as the angels who serve God directly. You know, I believe they're the second ones down. Uh, the seven highest archangels are numbered three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, three is Michael. Four is Carmel. Uh, five is uh, Samuel, six is Japhiel, seven is Zadikil, or Zadkil, uh, eight is Haniel, and nine is Azrael, also known as the seven lords of Amenti in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. You get down with that, Ray? That sound accurate to you? Uh, yeah, the uh, Tablets of Thoth is a uh very old thing and uh yeah they obviously had their higher hierarchy of uh divine beings so when they started like three uh is the devil one of one or two on that where where what's one and two why does it start at three four five six seven eight nine what do they have at three three uh three is our pal michael Ah, that's interesting, because I know a lot of traditions that put Michael as one. Interesting. And then Camille would be two? Uh, I think Uriel is in there, and I'm trying to remember the name of the other one. That's not off the top of my head. Well, yeah, Israel, we got... Yeah, they're... Uh... Yeah, it's interesting. For whatever reason, they started... Yeah, they started out at three. I wonder what those first two are uh, well, supposed to be. And a lot of the old writings, originally, there were in the older uh, Bible or the uh, the, Jew the older Jewish Bible, it starts off with just two. Later on, it goes to three. And it wasn't until after Christianity came along that it went up to seven. Hmm. I dig. Well, I know in the Bible, you know, the term... Archangel itself is not found in the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Old Testament. Uh, in the Greek New Testament, the term Archangel only occurs in one, 
which is ah, which is Theologians four sixteen and Jude uh, one nine, if I remember correctly. Going back there, I'm going back a little bit, but I think that might be correct. Now, where it was, it, where it is used of Michael, tongue. I'm getting tongue tied up. Who in Daniel t- uh, ten twelve uh, is called one of the chief princes and the great prince in the Septuagint. This is rendered the great angel. Now that Septuagint, did I, I didn't say that even close to right, did I? Or Brissot, what do you think? I think it's Septuagint. I'm not sure. Uh, fair enough. Uh, even if I don't know what it, uh, what it, how to say it, I do know that it is the earliest ex- uh, extant Greek translation of the books, of the Hebrew Bible. I know that, so I can't be held to blame too much. Now, the idea of the se- the seven archangels is most explicitly stated in the uh, Deuteronical book of Tobit when Raphael reveals himself declaring, I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who stand in the glorious presence of the Lord, ready to serve him. The other two angels mentioned by name in the Bible are Archangel Michael and the angel Gabriel. The four names of the other archangels come from tradition. You know what I mean? Michael's heavy, he's some heavy duty stuff. He's the right hand of God, right? Something like uh, that. He replaced Lucille, who eventually became Lucifer. Yeah. Uh, to be the, the top person in there. And he's basically the enforcer. Huh. You don't play around. No. no. Yeah. Respect B. Uh, Zechariah tells about seven rejoices that are the eyes of the Lord, which uh, scan to form throughout the whole earth. Revelations 8.2 mentions seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Uh, it's a famous one I always remember from back in the day. Uh, and it indicates, and I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of wrath of God into the earth. Lastly, Revelations 4.5 mentions seven spirits. Um, now, whose identity is not well specified, but who are the seven lamps of fire that were bor- burning before the throne? So that's how you can get that vibe. That Revelation stuff, whenever we dip into Revelation, I always get, uh, I, I enjoy Revelation. It's my favorite, favorite book of the Bible. You know what I mean? Stand before God. Yeah, so definitely. Some crazy stuff. You don't want to get. You don't want to be on the other side of that, on the business side of a boogie whip. They used to say. At least Dan Aykroyd said that once in Doctor Detroit. Now Enoch, what do you know about Enoch, Ray? I read some of it a long while ago. Uh, one of my plans is to get back to it. It's, the, uh, yeah, it's, the Book of Enoch was pretty much dropped from everything. Uh, those who studied the Kabbalah. Uh, we'll go back and also study that as well. It's kind of the Jewish book uh, that steps outside of the usual lines uh, you find in the rest of the in the rest of the Old Testament. Yeah. <clears throat> now, it was plucked out of the Bible. Supposedly, it was a book of the Bible, right? You saying? Yeah. And you, you read parts of it, like what, do you know what the overall, how they all kind of have different morals and stuff like that and stories? Do you know what the overall, 
like kind of story if it was? Uh, it's a little complex. It touches on a lot of things which most, uh, at least current day, let's say Christians would deny. This is you got alien stuff in it, doesn't it? It's got a lot of strange, a lot of stuff in there. You can take several different ways. Ah, uh, which is what I like to do. I like to do that from time to time. You know what I mean? I definitely want to check into that myself. You think it? Do you think it was an officially a book of the Bible that was replaced? You think it was really in there? Um, I think at one at one time it was included. At least for a brief while, and then then uh, removed. Uh, I definitely want to read it now. Ray Booten gave it that stamp of approval like that. Right, I'm getting down with that. So, <clears throat> one such tradition of archangels comes from the Old Testament biblical apocrypha, the third century BCE book of the watchers known as one enoch or the book of enoch eventually emerged in the enochic pentuage now this narrative is affiliated with the book of giants which also references the great archangels you know what i mean are you familiar with the book of giants ray uh we spoke that i mean called the, the nephilim yeah Fish, yeah Yep, it is a, uh, a it's a Jewish book which expands upon the Genesis narrative of the Hebrew Bible in a similar manner to the Book of Enoch. You know what I mean? Stands as an attempt to explain how it was the wickedness that had become. Yeah, you know? it's interesting stuff. But known as Enoch, the Book of Enoch eventually merged into these things, as you know. Now the the uh, about it, it made part of the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church's scriptural canon. Whew. I'm more, I'm, I'm, I gotta go back to school, I think, man. I'm, I'm struggling. Now, although uh, prevalent in the Jewish and early Christian apostolic traditions and the early Christian fathers, the Book of Enoch gradually fell from academic and religious status and by the 7th century was rejected from the Quranical scriptures of all the other Christian denominations. A banned and unknown work. Now, the various and surviving oral traditions recounted many different listings of archangels. The names entered Jewish tradition during the Babylonian captivity, uh, 60, 605 BCE, kid. Babylonian folklore and cosmology and early Mesopotamian beliefs under the dualistic influence of Zoroastrianism centered around anthropomorphic and zoomorphic representations of stars, planets, and constellations, including the four suns of the Sky Father carrying the winged sun. What do you know about the Sky Father? <laughs> yeah, baby. Not, not, not a lot there, but if you consider on the other side of the world, the old tradition in Native Americans yeah. is you have grand, grandfather, son. So you've got the male above yeah. and mother and mother earth. Yeah, I'm down with that. And the winged sun. I like that. Solar symbol associated with divinity, royalty, and power in an ancient near the east. And the throne of wisdom. 
come on, keep them coming. First the prophet Daniel, then authors such as Ezekiel, uh, embrace this mythology equating the Babylonian constellations with abstract forms held to be the sons of the gods, angels of the Lord of Israel, and heavenly animal cherubim. Uh, but you get down with cherubim or the cherub. Yeah. Uh, I always saw. I always thought they were the little baby ones. Uh, I think so. The Smashing Pumpkins made a song about them once. Now, the two BC Book of the Parables names the four angels accompanying the Ancient of Days, uh, standing before the Lord of Spirits. The voices of those upon the four sides magnifying the Lord of the Glory. Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, and Fanuel. The Book of the Watchers lists the angels who in Antilivian times interceded on behalf of mankind against the rogue spirits termed the Watchers. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel. I know you get down with that. You know what I mean? Uh, be careful because if the legends are even... If they have any hint of truth, the watchers still walk among us. I'm not messing around with anything like that. I got, yeah. I got no beef with anybody. I'm, I'm a loving man. I got no issues with anybody that, like that. You know what I mean? All's well. Now, we know about Michael. You know what I mean? Um, but let's get a little into some of it. Like, do you know, what do you know about, like, uh, like Raphael, we'll say? Uh... Oh, I'm not sure. I think, is it Uriel who's the healer? I don't think it's Raphael. It might be Raphael. I'm not sure. I get them confused. Yeah. Uh, Raphael, uh, I don't know if Raphael, you know, I know that he was in the, the Book of Enoch, of course, but um, I only really read about him there, I think. You know what I mean? We think Raphael... Being Raphael, I don't know. Raphael, I can always say he's one of my favorite Ninja Turtles for sure. But that's as close as I can get with that, I think. Unfortunately. That's that's rather mostly and ghostly. I don't know. You got anything on uh, what he stands for, what he does? I've got, well, with Raphael here. Raphael, God has healed, is what, which is what he kind of stands for. First mentioned uh, in the book of Tobit, um, you know, he became identified as one of the three heavenly visitors and entertained by Abraham at the Oak of Marm. Let me see here. Doesn't really get into, like, breaking down the different, you know, what they do different here. Uh well- you mentioned the word healed. I know there is one, and it might be it might be Raphael, right? Who is the healer? He also is known to heal the healers that walk the earth. He's he's said to guard pilgrims on their journeys, and is often depicted holding a staff. He is also often depicted holding or standing on a fish, which alludes to his healing. So I think he's a healing dude. Um, yeah, for sure. He must be a hailing dude. Now, he, he, you know, I got a ghostly thing for you. We got apparitions of him. Uh, the Archangel Raphael is said to have appeared in Cordova, Spain during the 16th century in response to the city's appeal of Pope Innocent X, allowed 
the local celebration of a feast in the Archangel's honor on May 7th, the date of the principal apparition. St. John of God, founder of the hospital order that bears his name. That's a heavy, that's a heavy one. It's a long fucking sign on a building. Uh, is also said to have received visitation from St. Raphael, who encouraged and instructed him in tribute to his many of the brothers, uh, hospitalers of St. John of God's facilities are called Raphael centers to this day. So they still, they call these places Raphael centers still out of respect. That's must respect. That's more than even mafia respect. You know what I mean? The eighth century, 18th century uh, Napoleon run Saint nun Saint Maria Francesca of the five wounds man that's gangster that's like a mafia name and a half right there is also said to have been, uh, seen apparition of Raphael so he's a hailing type of dude he's a good dude he's hailing it up um I get down with him heavy you know what I mean he's a good man we're gonna pop into did uh all right. God is one. That's what he, he gets down with. Uh, he's, uh, he's usually holding a crown, depicted in images, holding a crown or a three-thonged whip in hand, which I feel like he probably gets down with war or something like that, symbolizing reward uh, reward from God for the righteous and punishment for the sinners. Yeah, there he is. There's the dude you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to issue with him. Um so, yeah, there's the dude that takes care of the sinners right there. Jadigal. Ray, say it so we're not upsetting anybody. Say it appropriately, please. Without, see, without seeing it, I can't recall exactly how it how it goes. If I'm ever saying something I shouldn't be saying, like I have almost in the past, remind me not to say it. Don't allow, don't allow me to do such things. Um, yeah, so... You know, he's a patron who, who of all the who work in the uh, in some field of endeavor, and the crown he holds symbolizes the reward for successful spiritual labors. Along with his subordinate angels, he is the advisor and the defender of all who work in positions of responsibility uh, to the glory of God, and such uh, is resorted by the kings, judges, and other in posi- others in position of leadership. He is also known as the bearer of God's merciful love and also angel over Friday, <clears throat> which is interesting. We, you know, every, we order to Friday. It's Friday the day of the week between Thursday and Saturday. Who yeah. Now considered one of the seven archangels in a variant of Catholic systems, which pairs each archangel with a specific day of the week and attribute. Uh, now, with regard to the history of the archangel's name, it is thought to have first been mentioned in the non-canonical Book of Enoch between 130 B.C. and 68 A.D., shortly thereafter. And depending on the nationality of the first Christians, he was called Lehudiel. Lehudiel. Okay. Um... Yeah, excuse me. <clears throat> so he's uh, he's heavy duty. So he he deals anybody who deals with the sinner is somebody who's going to get down. What do you think, Ray? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's kind of like the uh, if you to sum it up in one word, justice. 
Yeah. He holds those scales. He either rewards <laughs> or punishes. Well, he punishes the folks that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. But if if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's all it's all roses. You know what I mean? So we got Gabriel uh, up next. You know, what do you know what you know about Gabriel? Gabriel's a big one. Uh, not, not again. Not off the top of my head. I'm not having a good night. There goes. Ah, no worries. No worries. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, Gabriel appears to the prophet Daniel to explain his visions. The archangel also appears in the Book of Enoch and other ancient Jewish writings alongside the archangel Michael. So he's pretty close to Michael, which means he's top of the pile type stuff. Now, he's described as the guardian angel of Israel, defending uh, its people against the angels of the other nations. Gabriel is also translated as strength of God in some languages. So he's defending its people against the angels of other nations. That's kind of, that's scary when you do that when like you when you re, when you really look at it like that with the you know the religious aspect of you know at least we know like the majority I'd say of Americans are probably Catholic Christian but like not enough to can you know for someone to be able to can you know what I mean like it's one of those deals. Um, well, you, you also have to take a look at uh, since it all comes from the ancient Judaism at yeah. that time. If you go, uh, you go far enough back, um, there was like, for instance, if you look at the creation story mm. and to the point where God says, we have fashioned man after our image, that's a plural. Yeah. And early Judaism believed in there was one supreme God, mm-hmm. but there were other entities, good ones, uh, with God in heaven. And they also believed in the supernatural. Yeah. They actually have a, have a word for it, that there were powers out there that we didn't understand that uh, were very powerful and could do many things. Now, if you're looking at, you know, the angels of other peoples or gods, they're looking, they're looking at protecting, these archangels are protecting Israel against the gods, uh, the evildoers, the demons, and the angels of all of these competing uh, religions and countries. Yeah. Yeah. Gabriel's one of the dudes blowing his horn, you know, in the end there, you know, the trope of the Gabriel blowing a trumpet blast to indicate the Lord's return to earth is especially familiar in spirituals. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, dude, I, you know, reading the Bible, not really, not really even the Bible, just revelations was when I, in church, that was the one that I read because that was the deal. That's the most interesting and entertaining book of it. I feel, you know what I mean? Scary. It's a straight up, it's a horror story. Like it's, it's, it's no bueno. You know what I mean? Um, so like, yeah, I, I remember like the horror, like the visual, you, know, you read, you read that, you get a visual in your head and it's like whew, some heavy stuff. You know what I mean? But he's definitely in there. You know, he's blasting his trumpet. Um, now, however, though the Bible mentions a trumpet blast preceding the resurrection of the dead, uh, and it never specifies Gabriel as the trumpeter, different passages uh, state different things. The angel of son of man, uh, the voice of the son of God, God's trumpet, seven angels sounding a series of blasts, you know what I mean, or simply a trumpet will sound. Some scary stuff. 
um, horrifying stuff. The, the trumpet, you know, because <clears throat> the visual that I always got is just ever, it's deafening. Everybody hears it. Like the thing about the apocalypto that always uh, that always was super creepy is like, yeah, there's the rapture type vibe. Everybody's gone. And then there's like the world goes to complete chaos, I believe, where like you're going to like it goes into this weird thing where like half like the like locusts come in. But like then there's like the horses with like the body of a horse, but like the chest of a man. And they're like warriors and like they're going to be annihilating people but you're not going to be dying you know what I mean just going to have to suffer you know you're going to have to you get get cut in half you're going to have to just like lay there in agony type stuff and uh, yeah and then when you finally you know when it's finally over and out it's a wrap it's over you know but uh, I always the, the, the visual that I always got with that was just so crazy and just deafening and like when 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 God comes back and he he comes out of the clouds, if I remember correctly, is that just something that was in my kid, my child, my child mind? What was that right? You know, does he come through the clouds? Uh, they portray it that way because he descends from heaven. Yeah, people always think of heaven as in the sky. Like imagine the visual. The visual it paints is is is. I tell you, if you if you're a fan of horror or anything like that get some good horror read revelations because it's epic it's epic and horrific and it's literally like this is how it ends baby it's the end you know what i mean it's it's wild it's a wild ride we'll just say that so next up on we got we did we done did gabriel we did uh, jadigil now we'll do a little salifiel up in here you know what i mean do you know much about salifiel at all uh nope all right so, Salifio is often seen as the patron saint of prayer and worship for members of the Eastern Orthodox Church and some Catholic traditions. In some Orthodox traditions, he is said to help people interpret dreams, break addictions, protect children, preside over exorcisms, and rule over music in heaven. He, so, he, he covers the Jesus the dude at the jukebox, letting you know what he's going to play. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, in a good way, though. Now, the Orthodox Christian will seek his help if their prayers is suffering from distractions, uh, intentiveness, or coldness. In Catholic tradition, he is depicted with a thurible, which is one of those things the priests walk around and smokes, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, right? No, I'm not aware of that one. I'm pretty positive that a thurible is like if you go to a ceremony, like if you go to like when people pass away and you go to the thing at the church, um, the Catholics, they did, they like walk around the coffin with like a, like almost like something the Undertaker would have back in the WWF days. And it would like, yeah, you're talking about the incense burner they have. It's like a, it's like a thing. At, it's almost like a lantern that smoke comes out of type deal. Yeah. They're burning us, uh, incense in there and they're blessing with it. Yeah. Yeah, so he's known to rock one of them deals. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, what's interesting is, like, I grew up Christian, but I never realized that there, you know, there were certain people you needed to pray to. I always thought that was a Catholic thing. Like, the, the way I grew up was just, like, you pray to God. You know what I mean? Like, you ask God for your things or whatever, not really pray to saints or a middleman, so to speak. 
or a middle woman this day and age. Well, what you're also looking at is that long before you had the different branches like uh, Pentecostal, Protestant, yeah. the different ones broke off, they all came out of Catholicism because that was that was the only one around for many years. So they all took a lot of the traditions from there and used it in their own. Yeah. So this must be where why they do at a at a at a wake. Um, carry this around the the coffin, or like, yeah, the coffin. It was when I when I seen it. They there was a coffin there. Yeah, so it's got to be that before they go to the hand of God. You know what I mean? Next up, uh, I, we we didn't do Uri, Uriel yet. I don't think. Uh, so Ariel, uh, you were talking a little bit about her. Do you want? Do, do you want to say anything? Or do you uh, want no, me to... I'm I'm curious to see uh, what that my, says about what my what my research that I've done has says. Yep. Um, now it's the name of one of the archangels who is mentioned in the post exilic rabbinic tradition and in the certain Christian traditions, well known in the Russian Orthodox tradition and the folk Catholicism. Uh, and recognized in Anglican Church as the fourth uh, archangel, he, which I, I th- apologies, I thought it was a, a lady. Uh, he is also well known in European esoteric medieval literature. Uh, Uriel is also known as a, a master of knowledge and wisdom. So I get down with that. And there's going to be some Illuminati people that. Uh, you know, there's got to be some secret Illuminati people with the nickname Ariel out there for sure. You know what I mean? There's like an atomic bomb with the name Ariel on it out there, chilling under some like football stadium. Yeah. But but what do you think about the stuff I said about the archangel, not the other stuff that could get us in trouble? Well, uh, Ariel. Yeah. But what you were saying brought it back. Um, yeah, Uriel imparts the knowledge and the wisdom yeah. of the divine, and brings it to be pe- uh, brings that knowledge, that awareness to people. So, if you're on, if you yourself are, let's say, meditating or praying, and you're, you're seeking for guidance and you're seeking that knowledge, you would pray to Uriel. I know it says uh, an acrophile. Uh, Kabbalistic and occult works. Uh, Ariel has been equated or confused with Uriel, uh, Nuriel, Urian. There's a lot of them. Jeremiah, Vertil, Serial. I actually don't like saying all these names because uh, not only is it, not only am I saying them wrong, but uh, even if I say them right, it's probably not good to just be saying these names. Now, in the secret book of John, an early Gnostic work, uh, Ariel is placed in control over the demons who help Yadabolf create Adam. Uh, what do you think about that last one? The secret book <laughs> of John, I vibe is probably a work of fiction or something, right? Uh, written later on by the Gnostics, yes. They had... Uh... There were several branches of Gnosticism. Yeah. And uh, there's one of them that actually says that uh, the Christ never died on the cross. 
someone took his place and then he lived and traveled and kept teaching. Hmm. So they have a lot of things that are, um, out there compared to the canon or what's accepted. I'm always interested in ancient out there ideas. Was this Nordic? Is that what this was? Uh, Gnostic. Gnostic. Okay. Yeah. Great. The, the Gnostics believe in a direct knowing of God. That there's an old saying uh, among them, which it says, "Be careful if you reach out to God, because God will reach back." Oh my! That, isn't that the same thing as uh, like the looking out, looking into the void, or looking into the dark side, or something like that? The yeah, abyss. Because, uh, yeah. When you're looking in, into the abyss, the abyss looks back. Or if you're fighting monsters, uh, be careful you don't become one. There's vari- There's a lot of variations, but the Gnostic saying has been around for a long time. Well, those two are like, exactly the same, except that one little difference. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, when I see things like uh, the occult works and uh, control over demons, that always makes me go, "Dag," you know. That I, they, you know, the other ones weren't weren't getting down like that. You know what I mean? And uh, we got Barishiel. You familiar with Barishiel? Nope. All right. Well, let's get a little into some Barishiel up in here. Now, sometimes shown holding a white rose against the chest that's heavy already a white rose against the chest i don't know where it's going but that's gangster already i'm almost scared to go any further it's going to mean death or something crazy or with rose petals scattered on the clothing particularly the cloak that's gangster now the scattering of rose petals was to symbolize or represent god's sweet blessings showering down on people in roman catholic uh, catholicism baricial is depicted holding a bread basket or a staff both of which symbolize the blessing of children that god bestows on parents so he's 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 a good dude right there well they're all good dudes i don't don't get me wrong you know what i mean um but yeah he's more of a he's not really busting heads you know what I mean? He's almost like the, 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 the positive the positive branch. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, with the... Yeah, he brings blessings to people. Yeah. Which is good. <clears throat> do you ever think... Do you ever think uh, the archangels would be... Could be upset or bitter over maybe having to be... Uh, the, you know, the the sinner, the person who deals with the sinners, and they can't be the one with the with the with the butterflies and stuff, and making everything cool, giving everybody gifts, rose petals on your coat, rocking and rolling. Well, the, there's a contradiction in the ancient writings. Um, yeah. One of it is that you had Lucille, the Morning Star, who was originally a powerful angel, who eventually got kicked out and became Lucifer. He recruited uh, about, I think, one-third of the angels to rebel, hmm. uh, which means Lucifer had emotions and free choice. Yeah. But outside of that story, archangels and angels, and archangels uh, 
really upper class angels. They don't deal usually directly with people. That's what angels are for. Like you have your guardian angel and you have others. Their archangels are at a higher level. But supposedly all angels in other writings uh, have one thing. They follow God's word. That's it. And they're very, they're very badass. You step out of line and boom, they zap you. Like I know in uh, Exodus, um, when God first told Moses, I, I believe in the old Jewish writings, he said, I will send an angel before you to lead you to the promised land. And Moses begged him and said, no, 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 no. You lead us. And the whole argument was that he knew God could be merciful. He knew angels. If the people misstep, they were done. That's it. Angels see it. Oh, nope. This is it. Oh, you varied from it. Boom. Okay. You're out of the way. And that's it. They, and the story about an angel rebelling or angels rebelling against God kind of contradicts the nature that they portrayed in the rest of the old writings. As in one way or the highway. Yeah, well, very Old Testament, you know what I mean? They're from the Old Testy. Yep. But you don't want to mess, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, a little bit more, a little bit more positive, but still, you know, you know, still, you know, what can you do? Bread basket and a staff, you know what I mean? That's a good deal. You see the bread basket and the staff coming. Uh, there's definitely that's a lot better than other things that be coming your way. You know what I mean? That's for sure. Um, Emmanuel. Do we get into some Emmanuel? Not yet. Not that I know. Not that I remember. All right, right. We did not get into Emmanuel. No. He's, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is where you'd get this gentleman. Interprets this as the prophecy of the birth of the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture in the person of Jesus. Uh, with us, uh, is one of the symbolic names used by Isaiah alongside names I'm not even going to attempt to say here. Now, it has no particular meaning in Jewish messianism. Huh, so he, this is the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah. Emmanuel is the birth of the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture in the person of Jesus. So Emmanuel represents the whole thing with Jesus' birth, coming to earth, dying for the sins, resurrection, uh, all that. Is that Emmanuel? Uh, yep. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, no, it's, you know, the interpretation here real quick, you know, is on the surface set in the time of King Ahaz and the prophecy concerning the two kings whom Ahaz dreads, namely Pekka and Rezin. Uh, the defeat and death of both these kings at the hands of the Asiarians is dated around 732 BCE placing the birth of Emmanuel Child late in the reign of Ahaz. And the reign of Ahaz is an abbreviation of Jehovah's the second. Yahoo has held was the 12th king of Judah 
and the son of the successor of Jotham. Crazy. Aha was 20 when he became king of Judah and reigned for 16 years. What a look at that man! Twenty. There should be a movie about that dude. Twenty years old and the king doing it. What? A, that's that's a wild story right there. Scholars generally date the written version of these events from the reign of Ahaz's son Hezekiah, some thirty years later. The purpose being that uh, to persuade Hezekiah not to join with other kings who intended to rebel against their joint overlord, Assyria. Isaiah points to the dreadful consequences that followed for Judah's northern neighbors, the kingdom of Israel, in Aram Damascus, which is Syria, when they rebelled in the days of Ahaz and brought the Assyrians down on themselves. In the event, uh, Hezekiah ignored Isaiah and joined the rebels, and the prophet's warning came true. The Assyrians ravaged Judah, and Hezekiah barely escaped with his throne. A century later, in the time of Josiah, the prophecy was revealed to present Ahaz as the faithless king who rejected God's promise of protection for Jerusalem in the house of David. And the result that God brought Assyria to the devastate the land until a new and faithful king would arise, presumably Josiah. Now, in Isaiah 7, 8 mentions three children in the symbolic names, Shir Jahub, meaning a remnant shall return. Emmanuel, God is with us. Uh, in Mara Shalah Hashbas, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Isaiah eight eighteen informs the reader that Isaiah and his children are signs. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwell on Mount Zion. The meaning of these name signs is not clear. Sher Jashob has been variously interpreted to mean that only a remnant of Ephraim in Syria will survive the Azurian invasion, or that a remnant of Judah will rep- repent and turn to God. While in Isaiah 10, 20 to 23, it seems to mean that a remnant of Israel will return to the Davidic monarchy. Mayar Shalahashabaz is more clearly related to the expected destruction of Ephraim and Syria. As for Emmanuel, who, you know, as we know, we know Emmanuel as God is with us. That's how I kind of relate to it. That's why I, talk, I call him. Isaiah might mean simply that any young pregnant woman in the seventh 734 BCE would be able to name her child God is with us by the time he is born but if a specific child is meant then it might be a son of Ahaz possibly his successor Hezekiah which is the traditional Jewish understanding or since the other symbolic children are Isaiah's Emmanuel might be the prophet's own son however this may be the significance of the sign changes from Isaiah 7 where Emmanuel symbolizes the hope of the imminent defeat for Syria and Ephraim to Isaiah 8 8 where Emmanuel is addressed as the people whose land is about to be overrun by the Ezrians. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Uh, yeah. 
Is there anything you want to say about Emmanuel before we move forward? Uh, nope. I think that Emmanuel basically is uh, hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. I agree with that because the whole Jesus thing, when you think of Jesus and like a, like in a bigger picture of the story type deal, like what does he represent? Yeah, definitely the same thing, but the overall bigger picture is the, the vibe of like, you know, do you think it's, you know, old Testament and so hardcore and, you know, hardcore where it's just like you're dead if you go against me you're dead and then the new testament has jesus in it and it's it's the more forgiving god where like jesus is you know coming to you know die for everybody's sins and such yeah i i, I agree there's a very very different tone yeah it's uh there yeah Big picture stuff, but I definitely deal with that. I think that that is the vibe they're going for, for sure. You know what I mean? I think you're right. I'm agreeing with you. Taking the long way home, but I'm agreeing with you. You know what I mean? Um, Cherubin, we talked a little bit about the cherubs and stuff like that. So, yeah, like, I mean, in the overall, the archangels, man, like, I wouldn't want to mess with the archangels, for sure. I got no issue. I got no beef with the archangels. You know what I mean? You think they're still lingering around today? You were saying something like that? I'd say so. It's interesting that after a period of time, the seven archangels became to represent the seven virtues. Yeah. And if you take a look in hell, there are seven kings in hell or princes in hell. And they are the, they represent the seven vices. Now, if you go back to, oh, who, who was the archangel with the loaves of bread? Ooh. Um, loaves of bread was, I think, was that Gabriel? Gabriel? Or maybe could, that, that might have been. Uh, uh, it, it could be. But Uriel. Point, I think Uriel. Uriel, Uriel, might have been loaves of Uriel bread. So, sounds about right. Yeah. If, if you take the bread and here you have an archangel giving bread and giving this stuff away and that that is more like charity one of the um princes in hell i forgot the name which one it is is greed so you can kind of blind one up you know you, you got like peace on this side and then you got like war or violence on that side and you can line them up with the virtues and the vices one opposite the other to you know, like, like a coin, which side you're going to look on, good or evil? Yeah, but they're linked. Yeah, I, I, I picture them to be. When I picture the archangels, I always feel like they're almost at the, at the foot of the throne, so to speak. But I guess realistically, the spiritual battle would never be ending. You know, they'd, they'd be fighting. You know, the way it goes is behind the scenes, there's this gigantic fight for people's souls and such. You know, you got the, you got the devil going forward and you got God and his folks, you know, you got the devil and his demons and you got God and his angels. And, you know, uh, that battle goes on continuously 24 seven, always. Um, 
Now, Ray, when the world, when, when humanity ends and everything happens like revelations, does that battle continue still? Is there still a spiritual battle when everybody's dead or what happens at that point? You know, depends on which scriptures you go by. Um, one thing about revelations, um, when everything goes crazy, that's the seven years of tribulations where everything is suffering for seven years. When you had the return of the Christ, then you had the judgment. And this is what, what there's two things in it that are interesting. Yeah. One, one is that, um, you know, I went in and out of my mind quickly. Uh, okay. When they say the, uh, what is it they call it when, when people are supposed to, the way they put it as being like kind of whisked away or what is that called? Oh, I can't remember the name. Yeah, I guess whisked away. Well, you know that, oh, it's in Revelations 2, uh, where all, they typically have it that, you know, uh, all the good souls of judgment will rise up and go with the, up into heaven. But I forgot what they call it. There's a name they use. Yeah. But um, actually, if you look at the old scriptures, it should be the reverse. Because in Revelation, should be much like uh, Noah in the flood. Yeah. Where the earth is wiped clean of evil and evil people. And earth becomes the new Eden. There's no ascension. It's like heaven comes down to earth. Once the evil has been removed, that's the old interpretation. It's been changed in in the newer one, so that it's very, very different there. Yeah, the the different ways they look at it. Yeah, it's heavy duty stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, that's the other thing that was that judgment. Yeah, judgment day. Um, if you look at the old scriptures. Yeah. This is interesting. People say, oh, if you're evil, you're dying, you go to hell. In the old scriptures, hell does not exist until judgment day. Hmm. So basically, if you are evil, according to old school, you're either reincarnated, and this is in some branches of Judaism, reincarnated and uh, have to try and correct your wrongs, or you go into a place of kind of like limbo or darkness in a limbo and you are waiting for judgment day and at that time you're either going to go to heaven or the new eden or you're going to go to hell because hell doesn't exist till judgment day yeah that's kind of a crazy deal too and i the the dead walk in the earth thing was always something that stuck up to me stuck out to me too because i remember being young and being like that's zombies we're talking about zombies now you know what i mean oh yeah during that tri- tribulations these are uh, plague people and zombie people and all this other stuff they're gonna be all over the place and uh, tribulate uh tri- during tribulations it's only the righteous that'll survive it's it's a wild it's definitely revelation is wild and yeah there was a well, you probably know about it. You could probably, you know, more than I do. What was it like? Like it was horses with the, with the bodies of horses, the chest of men with like chest up of men. What was the story with that? I'm not familiar with them. I know you got this, the the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Death being one of them, plague being another. There's there's four things that four have horse. to happen. Four. Yeah. 
But I don't I don't know about the centaur type people. That that image is not familiar to me. I never paid much attention to Revelations. Um, yeah. I dug back into the old, older books and uh, man, that's kind of wild. Stayed stayed away from Revelations. I mean, I touched on it a little here and there, but didn't go too deep. Why? Why? I I feel like Revelations way more interesting, but that's just me. But why didn't you really? Why didn't you really get too deep into the Revelations? Uh, because I believe the the earlier and the farther back you go, yeah, um, really gives you everything you need. Revelations was written in a time um, it was by one they call not Saint John or John the Apostle. Actually, what the one they called John the Holy. Yeah, it was approximately seventy to one hundred years after the birth of the Christ. Um, the temple had fallen. The Romans were persecuting. And it was really written as a story against Rome and against these persecutors and how God will come back and punish them for what they've, for what they've done and how there will be this great battle. That's the tribulation for seven years be, between good and evil. And, and it was really an add on afterwards. And there's, to me, there's a lot of interesting parts to it, but I'd rather study the oldest translations of the old scriptures to get to the meat of the story of creation, the relationship of uh, God to the universe, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with that. But, yeah, so the archangels, man, be on the lookout. And definitely go out there and read, read up on some revelations if you've never read no revelations out there because you're missing out on some good times. Some like crazy, you know, bad times, but like you want to talk about some like, you know, page turning stuff. And it was probably one of, it was very, you know, growing up in the church, it was, it was heavy. Uh, so like, yeah, I remember reading that, like, and that mean, that, that hitting me hard, being like, dag, I, I can close my eyes and get visuals. Like, those horse things part could have been in my mind, you know what I mean? Like, I remember um, downright traumatizing almost to read some of that stuff. It's some crazy shit, especially when, like, you know, you get, getting the vibe of it being reality, you know. The, the Revelations is a wild thing because there's stuff in there that, like, you'll see you'll see happening around you, like, in everyday life. You know what I mean? Like, big moves that are, like, talked about in in, in Revelations, and it's kind of crazy to see that. You know what I mean? I guess everything goes in cycles, so you could say it's all a cycle thing. Um, but who's to say, you know, the whole thing could be cycles. It's a wild deal. Um, I just hope that no matter what happens to us, nobody ever looks back and finds a Kanye West record and says, God, my goodness, this dude was, this is who we want to represent. That, civil, <laughs> that civilization. Yeah. Oh, stuff. Who knows 50,000 years from now from what's left of humanity in the world, what they'll be digging up and they'll be interpreting. There could be the Archangel Yay. You know what I mean? Kanyezy, uh, by in in a hundred years, who it depends who's penning, who's writing the novel at that point, who's putting their touches on it. You know what I mean? Re rewriting history and stuff. It's a uh, it's a crazy thing, but uh, you know that they can't rewrite mostly ghostly. We get that on lockdown. We're writing it ourselves. 
So Ray, yeah. this was a this was an absolute pleasure as usual. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll be catching them soon. We do have a new show at the network. You know what I mean? And mostly ghostly is a, a proud part of the Boombastic Media Network family. You know what I mean? And we want to welcome the uh, the, the the podcast, the lighter side of serial killers, with Keith Raveri to the network. Uh, for anybody else yeah, that gets into true crime, which I know there's there's a few mostly ghostly folks out there that enjoy some true crime stuff. Um, very unique show. You know, he, uh, he's an author. We met him through, you know, being an author. He was on a couple of the shows and, uh, he's corresponded with serial killers and such for, you know, 20 years or so. He's, he's written a couple books and, uh, not only does he have a great, know a lot about him and good conversation about him, but he actually has them call into the show via, prison phones and cellular devices and uh, all types of stuff like that. Uh, 30 minute show for people out there that can't do full hours, hour and a half mega fest of time. But uh, yeah, welcome Keith to the network. Always good to see the network expanding. You know what I mean? And uh, cool beans. So Ray, I think we're going to, we're going to pull the plug on this one tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's time to let the archangels do their things, pay our, pay our respect, and uh, let them go. Much respect to the archangels. And much respect to everybody out there listening. We'll catch y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly.